Welcome to Mac Gamecast, Episode 9, a podcast where we talk about Mac games and related topics. Today, we are going to be reviewing Metro Exodus, and uh, with me is Sam and Ted. How are you doing, guys? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing well here, yep. Awesome, awesome. I'm John, as always. Maybe I already said that. I don't know. I just had some decaf coffee, so uh, I'm going to blame it on that Um, for not being caffeinated enough, but it's too late for that. Uh, But yeah, Metro Exodus. What is Metro Exodus? It is a first-person, semi-open-world survival shooter, perhaps, is an accurate description, Um, available on the Mac. Frankly, the game was released in 2019 for PC, but the Mac version was only released this year in March or April or something like that. I forget the exact date. Early, like quarter one, 2021, basically. So it's a new Mac game for all intents and purposes. Um, it is from developer 4A Games, who have brought us such games as Metro 2033, Metro Last Light, Metro 2033 Redux, and Metro <laughs> Last Light Redux. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, those are the same games, just updated. And, of course, Metro Exodus. Um, technically, it's Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition, but, fun fact, us Mac users don't actually get the Enhanced Edition because it's a totally separate game with its own engine that uses all ray tracing from the ground up and all that fun stuff. Um, I'm just going to shout out the platforms and a few other notes, and I'll let you guys dive into actually giving us the overview and, and all that. Um, fun fact, you or. Good news, you can't actually get this basically anywhere. Um, Metro Exodus is available on the Mac versions on uh, Steam, the Epic Game Store, and the Mac App Store. So you can get it anywhere. And even better, it just went on sale today for like 75% off or something crazy. So you can get yeah. the game for like 10 or $12. Or if you want the whole shebang, there's two expansions. Uh, you can get it for like 16 or $20. It's, it's very cheap. Um, so perfect timing. And I checked it. It seemed to be on sale every... It was on sale on Steam and Epic. I don't know if it's on sale in the App Store, the Mac App Store. Um, but good time. Perfect time to get the game if you're listening to this podcast. Wondering if you should get it. I mean, it's a no-brainer at like 10 to $15. Like, you should just buy it. Yeah. Um, you guys have been playing this game more recently than me because um, I'm a schlub who is <clears throat> like organizing and selling my board games today. Um, that's a separate topic. Um, so, uh, Sam... Um, mind giving us a you know sort of an overview of what you know what players can expect at a metro exodus yeah so i guess i should just preface my thoughts with i haven't i haven't beaten the game so i don't have a complete picture of the game but i have played for for maybe three to four hours um and i'm really taking my time with it i'm not rushing through it. i'm just sort of creeping around the levels trying to get every collectible i can and stuff like that nice so um what players can expect? It's very, um, like expect a slower paced, more immersive type game. Like if you, I think if you, if you're the player who just wants to run through it and like A to B, let's get this mission checked off. It's it's much better if you you kind of enjoy it. Um, one thing I really like is the HUD is super super minimal, so you really feel when you're playing like you're you're in this post-apocalyptic world and like you're going to bring up your map or something. It's literally like a physical map. Your guy will bring up in front of you and you have to like click the mouse and flip it around. And there's like your objectives that he's written down and handwriting on the back of the map and stuff like that. So it's not like some computer HUD overlaid over this like post-apocalyptic Russian landscape. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. very immersive. Like I, it's, it's the kind of game I didn't expect when I bought it to play for a long time. I mostly bought it as like a, 
a benchmark almost. And then I just found myself playing it for hours, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's like three hours to pass. Shoot, <laughs> I better go to bed. So, yeah, really, really immersive and just sort of nitty gritty. And, and uh, yeah, I, I really like it. Nice. Ted, uh, how about you? What are your, you know, what's, what's your take on Metro Exodus, your experience? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, I like the open world uh, on this one. I've only played, what was it, uh, Metro Laf- Last Light before. So, you know, that it was good but you know i think this one is a little bit more organized in a sense um in in the in the case that you kind of have tasks to do which i really like and um in, in addition to the main storyline uh there is also these little side things which you can choose to do or not do um the world is pretty much full of uh, <laughs> equipment, extra bits and pieces for you know to upgrade your your weapons and your gear. Um, right. You know, it, it's it's really worth exploring. I mean, the open world aspect of it is a lot of fun. It does tend to get a little crazy because uh, it seems like the entire universe is out to get you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the opening scene is, you know, is kind of uh, is kind of crazy because if you if you didn't play the game before, you go, what the heck am I going to do here? And, uh, you know, it it's basically kind of intense right at the beginning, but it keeps getting, you know, a lot more fun and the world expands outwards. Um, there's an aspect of sneaking that you can use and that's there's different ways to play which is i guess what i was really trying to say you know you can be kind of like the shoot 'em up guy but um bullets become a premium so if you run out you're in trouble and um you can also do a lot of sneaking you know sneak up on somebody type of playing although that doesn't work too well on the um i don't know what you want to call them uh they're i guess the official word is humanimals the uh, critters that are in the world that, you know, they don't pay any attention to the fact that you're sneaking. They just trounce on you. Actually, they're sneaking <laughs> on you most of the time. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I've been I've been really enjoying it. So um, I made pretty good headway on it. Nice. Uh, Sam, had you, have you played any of the previous Metro games or no? Um. Sort of. Um, I've I've I own them all and I've I've booted them up, and installed them, but for I don't love um super like dark and gritty games. I'd rather play like sort of a more like a good example would be like Skyrim versus like Fallout Three or Fallout right. Four. Yeah, I'd yeah. rather play Skyrim. Just own, mostly just due to the color scheme. Um, Makes sense. So this game, this isn't even spoilers. It's like Mission Two, but like you you leave Moscow. Um, which I, I really like. Um, I don't love a game where I'm just creeping around in, in the sewers the whole game. So right. being able to leave and have those more open landscapes and stuff is something I re- really, really like. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. Um, what I, I want to note that you don't really need to have played previous metros to enjoy this game. You will get a bit more out of the story for sure, or in some cases maybe eh, not a lot more, but you'll definitely get more out of the story and characters if you've at least played Last Light. Um, the original game is still relevant this is a trilogy series um from the same developers and you play the same character in each one this guy named artyom artyom um 
who's silent, which is something that annoys me, but we'll get to that in a different section. Um, yeah, in the first game, I don't even think you go out of the metro at all, other than maybe... No, that's not true. At the very, very end, I think in the last mission, you get outside on a tower or something like that. Um, and Last Light, you at the second game, you actually do go outside quite a bit. In fact, your opening mission is going outside, and of course you have to wear your radiation you know, this is in a post-apocalyptic world. Everything's been nuked. This is why you're all living in the subways. Um, you know, there's all sorts of mutated beasties around. And as natural, you know, a bunch of humanity turns into jerk bags and they're trying to, you know, rob and kill each other and all that fun stuff. So there's some semblance of society in the Metro. Um, this game is also based on a book. Probably should have mentioned that sooner. A book series, actually. I forget the name of the author, but apparently it's, you know, good series. Um um, so that sense of uh, story and that sense of immersion Sam was talking about earlier, like with the HUD and the map and the sense of physicality, that really comes through in the world. The developers have clearly um, – I haven't read the books other than their you know summaries, um, but I think they've – you know much like, say, the Witcher games, which are also based on books, um, the developers, whether you like them or not, the games have – uh, the developers have translated a real sense of place and story and theme into the game um, for both the Witcher series and what we're talking about Metro here. So you really feel that. You feel the immersion of the world, the immersion of the characters, the weight of this story. You know, you, you think you're the last of humanity. And this is the main, this is a big theme in um, at the start of the game. Because basically, again, it's not spoilers. This is all the opening mission. Or it might even be in the Steam description for all I know. But basically... Um, if you're coming from game one and two, you've, you've been lied to um, by what's the remnants of the government and the military. There is a greater world out there. There are still people alive. There are like non-irradiated lands and places free of mutants. And they've just been keeping everyone trapped in and fighting like a cold war with other nations and blah, blah, blah. And all that, you know, all this stuff that gets blown wide open in like the first mission, like Sam was just saying. And, you're, you know, you zoom off out of Moscow Um on this train, which becomes your, your hub, your home base. Um, yeah. And from there you go on various missions. I guess the game isn't one big open world, like Skyrim. You were just talking about Skyrim and Fallout. It's not one big open world. It's a series of maps and each map is quite large and open world. And then once you're done everything, all the main missions, and of course, any and all side content you want, you can complete your mission and, uh, proceed forward, uh, on your train. Um, you know, and you'll pick up new companions along the way. Maybe you'll lose some. Um, we were, Ted was talking about all kinds of equipment. Um, one of my favorite things in the game is the, uh, like weapon, not weapon crafting, but weapon modification. Um, yeah. you can do some really cool things. Like you have a basic revolver. Um, and it's this fun thing where you pull off your backpack and like plunk it on the ground and open it up as if, like you're rummaging around for parts or whatever to tinker with your guns. It's pretty fun. Um, and like you can turn a basic revolver all the way into like a sniper rifle, pretty much by giving it a really long extended barrel, a big scope, a different handle, and all these different things. Or you can turn it into like a short range, quick firing blaster. Not like Star Wars blaster, but you know, y you can change the guns quite a bit with all sorts of mods. Um, and a lot of these are hiding around the world, um, which, as Sam was alluding to, taking your time, taking it slow. Immersing yourself in the world, exploring around, uh, exploring really pays off in this game. Yeah. So if you are the like Call of Duty running gun guy, um, this game is probably not for you, or at least you need to change your pace to like really experience the game. Um, and, and yeah, the world really is out to get you. I mean, the game, I think is, I don't think it's listed as horror, but it's semi horror. It has, it has, 
aspects of horror. I mean, the game can get pretty creepy because there's yeah, a day night cycle. <laughs> there's like, there are mutants out there hunting you or you're in some like dingy low lit bunker and there's like mutants crawling around and growling in the dark. It's not like an actual horror game trying to like jump scare you or whatever, but there are definitely elements of horror within the game. There's some pretty freaky mutants. Um, as Sam was saying, it is a fairly heavy game. I mean, it's post-apocalyptic. The nice thing about Exodus is, and probably why it appeals to Sam more, is because it's it's not that it's lighthearted, um, but, but you're out of those sewers. You're out into the world. It is a literal breath of fresh air, and all the characters' minds are blown. Like, oh my god, there's like fresh water and there's like trees and there's animals and whoa everyone's just like amazed by that you know imagine if you lived your whole life underground you're born there you're raised there you're told that's the world then you come out you know into under this exodus journey so that's a cool aspect of the story everyone's like freaking out and you know there's a lot of wonder and amazement in the story which makes it more lighthearted. i think um from the characters uh and the theme the theme's more much more hopeful the first two games it's really bleak really dismal basically no light you know at the end of the tunnel kind of a thing it's just survive and hope not to die horribly basically this game there's a lot of themes of hope you've got a family you've got friends if you hadn't played the second game well you got married to this lady anya so she's a major npc um in game three and everything um so yeah there's a lot going on in the game um is there anything uh i called out the uh like weapon mod stuff is there anything that stood out to you besides the UI, Sam, that like really grabbed you about the gameplay experience? Yeah, well, I just had... Um, I, I love games that give you, like, I think, like, an organic gameplay experience is maybe the best way to word that. And by that, I mean, like, there's something fun and engaging that happens, but it's not, like, a quick-time event. It's not, like, a, this scripted, like, I don't know, walk to this door, mash the E button, and then this cool thing happens, which isn't really that cool because it's scripted. <laughs> but like, so I was playing earlier, and as Ted mentioned, like ammo and stuff, if you get into fights, is pretty scarce. So I'm clearing out this bunker. Um, I made the mistake of not really looking at my assault rifle ammo before I walked into this bunker. So I'm I'm fighting these. I forget, like ghouls or something. I forget. They look kind of like an orc from like Lord of the Rings. Um, but they're like <laughs> this radiated ghoul or something like that. So I realized very quickly I only have like half a clip for my assault rifle. So this <laughs> bunker got very challenging very quickly. Um, so I like, I'm literally fighting them and then just like click, click, click. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> my gun is empty and I have, I'm pressing R to reload. Nothing's happening. Not um, the sound so, you want to hear. <laughs> but it made this like little random bunker just a much more. Uh, sort of engaging and finding fun little mini it's not even like a, it's supposed to be a thing but just like an organic little gameplay fun immersive nice. experience i like that um ted how about you is there something that really stands out in your mind to the gameplay experience that speaks to you um yeah it, it's i have to agree with sam it, the immersive part is is really great you really feel like you're doing it you really feel like you're there um and the you know and what you also mentioned john was the um the ability to craft the equipment to the way that you like to use or you like to play so if you know sorry so it it's like um if you're um if you like a particular you know, a type of a a, a gun 
or you like a particular type of modification or that a particular modification helps you. Um, I don't know. What type of things can we do with spoilers here? <laughs> um, you know, minor spoilers are okay, but nothing major, okay. I would say. All right. So, you know, for instance, you know, the, the I have two different two different guns. Ha- you ha- can have three different types of guns. And one of them, I have a laser sight. The other one, I have, uh, an, uh, what do you call it? Um, a, a night vision scope on it. So if I'm in a dark area and I'm looking for, you know, the little things that creep up on you, the light vision's really good. But if you're outside, you want to really hit something from a distance that's hiding behind whatever, the laser sight's really good. So those nice. those type of things that I really find it fun because you can hone the game into the way you like to play. And somebody else might find it completely different. You know, and the other thing there's, you know, we were talking about those, the mutants and stuff like that. There's usually a solution uh, that I find, too. And that's something else I like about the game. Um, You can sometimes avoid them. You can. And then there is a particular type of weapon that's really good with them, too. You eventually get the the ability to have that one. And uh, it's kind of like fun because one shot, they're gone. So, um which which helps out a lot, but it's, again, it's a scarce bullet, and <laughs> and like anything else, you got to reload. So that's that's also fun. It's like you have to plan ahead. Nice, yeah. yeah I like that you mentioned that, uh, like play the way you want. You were talking about earlier. There is, um, you know, of course, there's bandits. Again, there's a bunch of main missions, which are also very story based and interesting. Um, you know, like in the first area, this is. Not really a spoiler because I won't mention more, but there's a church who worships. Um, basically, there's a strange, like a weird cult church out on the ice, and you've got to go deal with them to move your train forward, essentially. And a whole series of events occurs once you go visit them, and you can resolve that situation in multiple ways as well. Um, and these organic sort of moments come up that Sam was talking about, or maybe a point of, in, you know, you can just wander around and find this cool bunker or this item um, or stumble onto a situation. I walked onto three guys some randomly in the map um they were just standing around some little stone and they were some of these like church cult guys and they were like uh i don't know you walk up to them and they just start talking to you because your 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 character you played doesn't actually talk everyone just talks to him all the time which is sort of a funny thing but anyway these guys were um praying for protection but they weren't actually like they walked out there intentionally near this den of mutants and they're like, you know, our God or our whatever, I can't remember exactly what they were, you know, we'll protect us, we're safe. And then inadvertently, I don't, it's not scripted as far as I know, a mutant saw me and tried to come after me and I ran away, but then it found them and killed them all. But they were praying like for protection against the mutants. And I'm like, you know, I actually, I saved like one guy, I think, because of course I shot the mutants. But by then is one of the range ones like spit stuff at you. So I'm like, I'm hearing this like plunk, plunk. I'm like, what? What is that noise? Like, who's who's shooting at me or whatever? And I look around, and suddenly, like, these NPCs are dying from the very mutants they were just um, like praying for protection against. It was one of those funny little organic moments, like Sam was talking about. Um, but uh, I wanted to mention also for gear, because Ted was talking a lot about the way you want to play. Is uh, you also have armor and vests, so you can find and equip different kinds of vests, which basically tailor to your playstyle. Uh, one vest like doubles the amount of throwables you can have because you can have like I think molotovs and throwing knives and maybe grenades and all this stuff um, which you can find or craft 
So if you really like using those, you can find this vest, which is like in some bandit camp. There's not a mission for it. I just stumbled across it. Um, but you can find it. And there's another vest, like heavy ammo or armor, like I think doubles or 50% more ammo. So if you really want to do the gun, you know, just guns blazing, you'll have way more ammo to hold. So the game also not only facilitates like through the mods and the multiple approach combat, but also like your character's armor, essentially your loadout. Um, I thought that was pretty cool, too. When I discovered that, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not going to use this particular item I found, but if I were the kind of player who really liked this style, like just wanted to spam throwing knives or something, um, I'd be using this piece, this this gear. Uh, I wasn't, so I didn't use it, but I thought it was really cool that it was there. Yeah. Um, so that's the game in a nutshell. Um, none of us have actually finished it, which kind of silly for us to review it, but I've played about eight hours of it, so quite a lot. Um so I don't know how it ends. I can't comment on the ending. A lot of games, not a lot. I shouldn't say a lot. Some games are like amazing all the way through and botch their ending. Um, like Mass Effect, cough, cough. Um, <laughs> or I can't think of another game right now, but that was the, the last one I played. Uh, game of Thrones. Yes. Or shows. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Terrific. And then Blork, you know. So, um, but I trust um, these developers to pull it off. Because I played the two previous two games, they have a high commitment to quality and narrative. Um, so I, you know, basically I'm going to say it's safe to assume the ending's pretty good. The game's rated like very or overwhelmingly positive on Steam. Um, this was well rated by critics everywhere. Everyone likes, practically everyone likes this game. So I'm going to say it's pretty safe to assume like it follows through. If you really like the game and want more, there's also two DLC packs or that play, there's standalone they're not from the main game it's just a continuation one of them you play a completely different character it's actually called sam's story hey sam's in the game um <laughs> i didn't know you were a post-apocalyptic american soldier stranded in russia sam what about you? my alter ego yeah it's his alter ego exactly um so there's a whole dlc about him it takes place after the game i think so it is you should play the main game first then this dlc like, it's not completely standalone. I've heard or read there's some spoilers for the main story if you just jump right into the DLC. Um, but yeah, you get to place this character, Sam, trying to get home, who's an American soldier who got, like, stuck with the Russians. But, you know, they're friendly. And there's another DLC, the Two Colonels. I'm actually, actually I have no idea what that one's about. Um, I don't know if you play Artyom or a different character or what, um, other than, again, it's a, like, after the story type thing. So there's quite a bit of game here um, for anyone, you know, who really likes who really likes this. Um, I believe there's also multiple difficulty levels. You were talking about the HUD and stuff earlier. I think there's a difficulty mode where there's just no HUD whatsoever. Like, even if you want to turn it on, it's, like, not possible. It's just gone. I think it's called Ranger mode or something like that. At least the previous two games had that. I might have that turned on. Mm. I, I don't remember how I set up my game, but... I, I have zero HUD, so that's right. Like oh, I, I think bad. I think so. The HUD is very minimal anyway, even in like regular, like normal difficulty or whatever. Um, yeah, but you know the game the game's meant to be challenging, but there is like an easier mode if you want. But it's you know the devs' clear like design intent was to make a more challenging game. Basically, um, I mean it's survival, semi survival, semi horror, all this kind of stuff, but. You, know, you can't really, like, take a joy ride or joy walk through, like, post-apocalyptic wasteland filled with mutants and bandits, you know? 
and just see the sights. There is an easy mode, I think, but I think the game's still reasonably challenging, even at lower levels. Um, you know, I consider myself pretty good at shooters. I've never really had problems with the bandits, like the human enemies, who are very fun to run around and like stealthily stab in their camps and everything. Um, but it's the mutants. And oh God, I won't say more than this, but watch out for water. It's, <laughs> just beware of of walking in and around water. That's all I'll say. Um, so moving on to the next section of this review format. Um, is there anything you guys didn't like about this game, uh, you know, in, in your current playtime of it, Sam? Um, I think the only thing I thought they like, maybe could have improved a bit is it's 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 very clunky. And I don't mean like like some games are stylistically like more clunky, heavier feeling game. And that, that's totally fine. I right. more mean like sort of the older it, it happened all the time in older games where it's like there's a little tree root. And my character can't move forward because this three-inch tree root is, I guess, hitting my boot or something. Just like <laughs> clunkiness like that, where it's like this isn't adding anything to the gameplay. This is just kind of a little bit of jankiness. Um, and I noticed if you fall from like not far up at all, you'll get like really injured. Like I, I fall from like five feet up. Like I, I intentionally just like ran off the ledge because I'm like, well, this wouldn't cause any issues, and then it did. So <laughs> just stuff like that. Um, but. What else? I think that's the, only, that's the only thing that comes to mind. But it feels like really, really polished in a lot of ways. But that that one way, it feels like it's like 2008 in terms of getting stuck on mm. random objects. I hear you. Completely agree. How about you, Ted? Yeah, I have to agree with Sam. that That's one of the bigger problems I ran into. The other thing I, I don't like, I had a, a lot of problem with, and maybe it's just me, but <laughs> the... Um, you know, we're talking about the the weapons and stuff like that. And obviously, if you take out one of the bandits, they'll, they they generally have stuff you can take. Um, if they happen to fall on their weapon and you're just not paying attention, the biggest problem I had <laughs> is you hit the key to, to loot them. And for some reason, it hits it, it either jumps off the the you know the loot icon and goes to the weapon when all of a sudden you're holding a different weapon well if you've just made one you really like uh right that you know it's like you walk all of a sudden you look wait a minute what is this thing where'd it happen and then a couple times where it happened to me it would that happened I went back to go pick it up and somehow it was gone yeah. so yeah. yeah. Now the the good thing is that there is a way to get it back. It's permanently once you have something, it's permanently in your repertoire. But it that's involves another step, which you know they're not it's not something you find everywhere. It's not like you can you know other than you could always do a restart. But um, and that and that's another one you can save all through the game, which is a good thing. But sometimes it it. <laughs> It saves during the worst time, and it's like, well, I didn't like the way it did that. I want to go back again. Nope, you're too far. So that was those are the two things I didn't like because you know. But I don't do a lot of the save re redo, but unless I do something really stupid, which happens. <laughs> yeah, there is some checkpoints in the game. Also, while having a manual save system, it's one of those combo sort of things, which leads to some of these awkward moments, like you were talking about. Um, no, I, I hear everything you guys, you gents, are saying, and I also agree. I've run into these, 
yeah, I'm tripping over this invisible or three-inch root or, you know, you can't climb this, like, tiny thing, which you clearly could, or moments like that. Uh, same thing, I'm pretty sure I died a few times, just intentionally, oh, I'll jump down here, Og, And I'm like, what? That was like an eight or ten foot drop. I mean, okay, maybe I'd twist my ankle, but I'm sure they're not going to die. Um, <laughs> um, shout out to uh, The Witcher 3 again. Maybe it's this, like, Eastern European dev thing, because the same thing happens in The Witcher. If you fall from, like, five feet, you just die. Maybe it's just, like, a thing they put in their games. I don't know. Um, what else were you saying, Ted, that I agreed with? Uh, or Sam the jankiness. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a certain kind of also sluggishness to the movement, which I think is meant to be more, like, you're not this, like, zoomy Superman, you know, FPS character like you are in a lot of games. But in some... So the sense of weight and, like, almost physics is nice. It's kind of like a sense of movement and momentum. You don't, like, instantly start turn around and sprinting you kind of have to like generate the momentum it's very subtle in the game it's not like a huge barrier but some people i've read some complaints they're minor red means like steam reviews or whatever some people complain the game feels sluggish for them so if you're used to these like really high mobility you know perfectly snappy zoom around i don't know because you know people play a lot of games like i don't know um apex legends these days or certain call of duties everything's very snappy the movement's very crisp there's no real like um physical weight to the movement you just zoom along and do your thing so this game there's much more like a sense of weight to your character that may or may not i personally like it i think it's cool but it may annoy some people um i figured i would point that out just in case it uh people people find it pesky um otherwise yeah you guys pretty much covered uh the only thing uh pretty much covered what i would also say i didn't like my addition to that is uh i know this was intentional by the devs but your main character never talks and the reason why this annoys me it didn't annoy me in the previous games because somehow the way the story went it just worked out you were also like i don't know like go to this station in the first game like go to this you know other metro town and give them this letter and like everything they need to know is in this letter so you can just show up and give them the letter it kind of makes sense but in this game within a very short span of time there's like multiple like world shattering life-changing revelations and events happening and a character says nothing has no reaction and other characters just show up and ask you like oh my god rtm what's happening and you just sit there staring at him and you're the only one who knows this like crazy information and then the NPCs just proceed like, oh, well, maybe it's like this or maybe it's like that or, hmm, I wonder how this is. And it's like, well, you could tell them, but your character doesn't talk. Or there's one instance where you have to go get an NPC to join your train. And he's way out in the middle of nowhere. He's never met you or anyone. This is in the first area, so it's a minor spoiler at best. He's never met you, anyone from your train. He's never seen you, never talked to you, never over the radio. You just show up. And he's been surrounded by bandits and other people who want to kill him. And he's like, oh, you must be the guy from the train, right? And you just stare at him. And he goes, okay, off we go then. It's like, how does he know you're not just there to like, he just lets you into his home, which is this like super secure thing you couldn't get in without it, without him letting you in. And he just lets you in all armed with a, your assault rifle and whatever. It's like, you know, it's just too many. It broke my immersion in an otherwise extremely immersive game which I think does a great job with the story, the characters, the voice acting, the graphics, the soundscape is like next level. It is seriously some of like the best audio in, a, in an FPS I've ever played. But then there's just these like ridiculous moments where the fact that your character doesn't talk like breaks the game for me. Not I'll still play the game. I still love it. 
but when it comes up, it's really jarring to me. Like, there's no way these people would just proceed with these events without your input or without you having a reaction or without you telling them, well, like, yes, I'm from this group or I learned this information or whatever. Um, so I felt like there was a bit of a disconnect because, like, your wife, for example, is always like, she's very passionate and animated over like discovering the world and, and the hope and the possibilities. And she's wandering all over the screen and like touching you because you know, your hand or your shoulder or whatever. So she's like super animated and passionate and having these conversations. And you're just like standing there blankly. You don't even nod. You don't even grunt. You just, you just stare. It's like, so those are those moments to me where there's like this dissonance of like, you know, I don't know. The developers did it intentionally, but I think it worked for the first two games the way that they were sequenced and structured, but there's just too much going on in this one. Anyway, it breaks my immersion in an otherwise great immersive game and story. Yeah, I had my rant over. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, what else? Oop, I clicked off my... Uh, oop, I'm on the wrong thingy here. Uh, performance um, on Mac is actually really, really good. Uh, this game is cross-saves. If you happen to have started to play on PC, you could continue on Mac. It's also available to play on GeForce Now. We talked a lot about um, the, all that kind of streaming stuff last episode, um, so you can play it all over. But the Mac performance is really, really good. It's a top-tier Mac port. Uh, runs phenomenally, as long as you have the computer that can do it. It also runs pretty solidly on M1 Silicon Macs. Um, you can get stable performance at like medium and high settings, even on a lower end, uh, you know, like a seven core GPU MacBook air. And of course you can adjust the settings a little further if you want to mess with your, um, FPS and stuff, but you can play the game very solidly on an M1 Mac. And if you have a stronger Intel Mac, well, then you can really crank up the graphics and everything. Um, and it's a really good looking game, really good looking game. So performance is great. If you gentlemen had to assign a rating to this game. Out of 10, you can use increments if you want, like halves. Uh, Sam, what would you give this game based on what you've played so far? Yeah, uh, I'll, yeah I want to preface it with I've only played the first sort of two areas. Um, but so far, really good 8.5 or a 9 maybe even. Um, it's one of the better single-player games that I've played in a very long time. Well said, well said. Ted, sir, how about you? What are you, what are you feeling for a rating I- on this game? Yeah, I have to agree with Sam on that one. You know, nine, maybe you know, eight or nine, somewhere up there. It's it's really good. I mean, there's a few things I would like to see different, so no 10. But, you know, it's definitely really enjoying it. And, and it's relatively smooth playing. So, yeah, nine. Nice. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, again, I'm about eight hours in. And, you know, sure, I went on a whole rant about, like, this, the character not talking. Um, but those moments are not that common they happen maybe uh, really they happen a bunch in the first two or three hours of play and then the game opens up and it's maybe once every few hours or something there's one of these moments uh, and it's pretty minor so it's more that there was a dose of it up front and then it kind of smooths out um but otherwise i don't yeah i don't have any complaints about the game are minor and they don't detract enough from the otherwise really really solid i think it's absolutely one of the best fps's to come along and a very long time, even if it is two years late to the Mac. Um, the port is phenomenal, and to me, that gives it a lot of extra points, unlike something like Borderlands 3, which is a game I'll talk about some other time, but I also think Borderlands 3 is a great game, but the Mac port is terrible. 
terrible, terrible. So that knocks like several points off the rating. Like I'd probably give Borderlands 3 as a game like 9 out of 10. But the Mac port's so bad, I'd probably have to drop it down to like a 7 or something just because it's like, ugh, or maybe even lower than that potentially. Uh, but this game, yeah, I would give it a strong 8.5, 9 as well. Um, probably a 9. I mean, just like Sam was saying at the beginning of this conversation, beginning of the review, I booted it up just to check it out. Like, oh, I'll see how it runs on my iMac. And then like three or four hours later, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like 12 at night or something. Like, I, I got I to gotta get to bed. Um, so really immersive game, really pulls you in. Um, and I like that, yeah, it lets you go at your own pace. You can explore the world, the story, the missions. You know, you can do as much or as little as you want. So it really scales to the kind of player you are. Um, and I think the kind of flexibility means it gives it a wider uh, audience appeal to, you know, Mac gamers or PC gamers, whoever you are. Um, but we're a Mac gaming podcast, so we'll say Mac gamers. Um, and it's available, you know, the port's so good, the game's good. Um, it's available pretty much anywhere, uh, any and all platforms, you know, like we mentioned. Works on Silicon Macs, works on Intel Macs. It's just a really solid package. This is done in-house by um, 4A Games or Deep Silver, I'm not sure who. The previous two Metro games I should mention... Um, Last Light, as far as I know, still works on 64-bit. It's flagged as a 32-bit game, but I'm like 99% sure it actually just still opens and you can go play it. La- uh, the original 2033 also might still work. I did test that like a year or two ago. I honestly can't remember. I tried to find my list that I made. I couldn't. I lost my notes. Um, but if you really want, you could go back and play Last Light still, as far as I know. But you don't have to to jump into this. You could just jump right into Exodus because there is, as Ted was saying at the beginning, there, there's this whole recap video, basically, like cinematic that takes you through like what happened and some of the events, like the main events. Um, one thing we didn't touch upon, or I didn't at least, is uh, there's this karma system in the game. Uh, and it's like uh, it's kind of passive or hidden. Basically, I mean, it's a little binary. Basically, it boils down to do you kill this person or not? Um, or do you know, do you let them live in the, in Exodus? Um, this takes the form of like, if you kill, I don't know, eight out of 10 bandits, the last two might surrender. They'll throw down their gun and put their hands up. So you could just leave them there. You could knock them out. You could kill them. Um, so if you kill them when they've surrendered this little like tone, the ominous sort of noise sounds, it's a little like or something. Um, and that's an indicator of bad karma, basically. Um, so this was true each, at least of the previous games, there was a canon ending, like a good ending, and then there was a bad ending. Uh, based So if you basically did enough bad things throughout the game, you got a worse ending. In most cases, you die. Um, or in the case of Metro, the first Metro Exodus game, um, actually, I don't think there was a... I think, funny enough, the bad ending is the canon ending of game one, because you wipe out all these like mystical creatures you don't understand and think they're out to kill you and you just bomb them and kill them all but one of them and that's leads into the story of metro last light where there's the last one running around and you go and hunt it down and all these things happen but there's an alternate ending in game one where if you do like all the good stuff you actually don't nuke them which is funny not nuke like bomb but that's not the canon story last light's the reverse where if you do all the bad stuff at the end you die there's this whole raid on this compound and all this stuff happens. The story, like, greater story succeeds, but your character dies. But if you, like, be more of a good guy and, like, help people out or don't rob and kill people or whatever, execute 100 enemies, uh, then you then you pull through and you live. So I don't know how that plays out in Metro Exodus because I haven't seen the ending, but I know the karma system's at work. 
Um, so basically you can kind of play the game two ways, I guess. It's not obvious. It's not this like, um, Paragon Renegade thing of, you know, Mass Effect or the obvious like, well, I'll do this for, you know, I'll play the bad guy to get a better reward or something. It isn't like that. It's just sort of organic and out there in the world. Um, and you'll bump into it knowingly or unknowingly, basically. Um, so I just I just think that's an interesting layer to the game and potentially adds replayability as well if you want to, like, see how things play out two different ways. Yeah. And that is uh, Metro Exodus. I don't think I have anything else to say about the game other than it's kind of a big download, I guess. It's like 80 gigabytes or something, which... I guess depending on your standards or your expectations may or may not be large, but for those, I'm saying it mostly, um, maybe you have data caps or data limits or something and you're used to smaller games or something. It's a fairly big game. Um, 80 something gigs or 90 gigs to download. So figured I'd throw that out there. Excuse me. Um, we still have a bit of time left. Um, because you know, we, we did well. So that was the review portion. Um, I figured it'd be interesting to talk about maybe a few game releases that have, or announcements even, that have uh, happened lately. Um, there's a few things I haven't played, but are I want to check out are on my list. Um, Humankind released lately, uh, a new like forex strategy game um, from Amplitude Studios. Actually, that released last month, so I'm a little late, but that's been getting some good buzz. Um, there's been a new Mist uh, version released, like a. I don't know. It's a remake, I think. Apparently, it says it's reimagined from the ground up. That's all I know. And then that was also released just like two weeks ago or something. Uh, I never have you, either of you guys got back into Mist, like or got into Mist way back in the day because it's an old old game. I played a lot of Riven way back in the day. Like that was Mist sequel. Like, I think like, right. Mist two. Yeah, I played Mist. Yeah, I played Mist right. when it was released. So yeah. So apparently, this is it's from the same people, Cyan, that brought Mist in Riven. And they've reimagined Mist and it's built from the ground up. And you get to explore Mist in a whole new dimension. So if you're a Mist fan, you should go check out, well, it's just called Mist. <laughs> it's on Steam. It's available for Mac. I don't know where else it might be. Um, there's a RPG that's been getting some pretty good buzz called um, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Apparently, it's a pretty cool game. You know, it's a CRPG, party-based RPG, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I haven't gotten into it, um, probably because it's 50 bucks, and I don't. I already have so many games in my backlog. I'm not inclined to buy like expensive things unless I really want them. Um, but I've read some reviews of this uh, in general, like PC reviews and whatever, and everyone says it's a pretty good time. So if you're an RPG, CRPG fan looking for like the next new thing, well, here's Pathfinder. Um what else caught my eye? Uh, well, I guess an announcement that just happened just for this podcast. Um, Aspire Media sent out an email um, announcing a Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic or KOTOR uh, remake. However, there's currently no mention of a Mac version, so we're not really sure what's going on there. Uh, did you guys read the announcement by any chance? Yeah, I actually saw it on Sony had like a PlayStation 5. I forget what they called it. 40 minute marketing thing. Um, they're actually publishing the game. So like Sony interactive entertainment is aspires making it. Sony's publishing. Oh, okay. I only had glanced at it like all of two minutes before jumping on. It's a console exclusive. 
a timed one. So Xbox will get it. Who knows when? But um, and then it's going to be day one on PC. So I'm like hoping that maybe there's a Mac version. They just are flying that under the PC banner. But uh, I wouldn't wouldn't bet money on it, especially because change ownership and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Aspire has classically published all, like, not literally all, but a ton of Star Wars games to the Mac over the years since, like, the late 2000s. Um, you know, I've, you know, I remember playing back in the Inside Mac game days when Ted and I were, uh, reviewers and journalists there. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure I reviewed Jedi Knight, um, Jedi Academy and maybe, um, oh my goodness, Jedi Knight 2. And uh, I don't know, there's pod racing games, and of course, Knights of the Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic 2, and all those are done by Aspire. So they have a long history with Star Wars games and the PC and the Mac. But as far as I know, they've, for, in most cases, only done the Mac ports. I don't, but they've been taking on more PC stuff in the last few years. They did a re release of Knights of the Old Republic, or Knights of, sorry, Knights of the Old Republic 2, and they brought it to uh, like iOS and updated PC and Mac. So I guess they did some PC stuff there. We've mentioned on other episodes of the show, in case anyone didn't catch them, but basically, as Sam just alluded to, Aspire's under new ownership. Um, they were bought by Saber Interactive, um, who's just like this big umbrella conglomerate who's buying all kinds of studios and game devs and stuff like that. Um, and Aspire, we also noticed Aspire had been hiring for game development on their website, looking for you know level designers and AI creators and all this jazz. Whether that was for uh, this project or another one, don't know. But this is their first announced game, they being Aspire Media, their first announced game since we've seen them like uh, being bought and uh, you know posting for job positions. So I, we can say it's this one. Um, as Sam was saying, we can hope that basically they're hiding um, the Mac port under the PC banner. I have seen other games do this. I can't remember which one's off the top of my head, but it has happened. They say PC, and later it also comes to Mac. Aspire has a long history on Mac, but, you know, we don't know the details of their, like you said, the ownership. Do they have, like, pretty much full autonomy with just more resources? If that's true, they'll probably bring us a Mac version. Um, but if it's purely up to, say, Sony, who's publishing it, or Saber Interactive or whoever their, like, overlords might be, so to speak, um, our chances of a Mac version are, like, slim and none. So uh, that's too bad. You, you know, we have KOTOR 2, and may I don't think the original is playable on Macs, like, without, you know, crossover bootcamp or something. Um, so we have a relatively recent version to play, but of course, this isn't just, like, a graphical update. They're remaking the game. Like, they're basically making a whole new game, in a sense, based on the first one. Um, so really do hope it comes to Mac. Knights of the Old Republic, I played it in, I think, 2007. I don't recall exactly when it was. I think it came out in 2004. But when the Mac version was released, I don't know. Back then, I was only marginally paying attention to those kinds of details because I wasn't doing any, like, journalism stuff or whatever. It was just like, oh, see game, like game, buy game, play game. <laughs> Move on to the next game kind of a thing back then. Um, but I remember loving Knights of the Old Republic, um, playing with a buddy at the time. Well, we were sharing a computer, actually. Or no, I was playing it on his computer or something like that. Um, but awesome game. I remember playing it through two or three times because you can play different characters and make different choices. And Phenomenal game. So the remake's a big deal. There's a lot of, not just nostalgia, but it's just a really good game that at this point is super outdated. But a remake, of course, would bring it up to speed with, you know, 
maybe remove clunky systems, of course, update the graphics. I think they're even redoing the voice acting with the original like voice actors, or at least some of them, like Jennifer Hale and stuff like that. So very interesting, very cool. But will it be Mac? We don't know. We are only bringing it up in a Mac podcast because it's Aspire Media, who has a history of, of course, being primarily Mac, you know, port, developer, house, whatever. So it remains to be seen, but I figured it's it's worth a mention just so, you know, anyone listening, basically keep their eye on it or go out there and badger Aspire, you know, on social media or something to uh, give us a, give us a Mac port. I made it. I already asked uh, on their Facebook post, how about a Mac port? Question mark. I doubt I'll get an answer, but at least, you know, let people know there's interest. Maybe maybe it could lead to something. You know, I'm not going to I'm not about to, like, make a petition or something like that. That's not me. And I don't think petitions work uh anyway but um at least i mean like an online internet petition there may be other petitions that do work in in the greater world of of things in life but um as far as like games go i don't know of anyone that was actually like successful so anyway i don't want to go on a petition tangent um i did want to mention one other thing uh adjacent to the game uh shutting out mr mac Wright again he has a really good video uh for performance on metro exodus you just type mr mac Wright exodus or metro exodus it'll come right up on youtube uh, and he has a very detailed video um comparing performance of intel and m1s various settings across the m1s he even has some cool details of going into like the cfg files and modifying settings like and saving the file for better performance and stuff so he has some cool details there um so if you're interested in seeing a performance demonstration before you buy the game or you don't know how it might run on a computer, etc., um, go check out his video. Um, you know, and you'll you'll be able to check it out for yourself. Um, one other game announcement I saw today was Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which Ooh. is made by Gearbox. It's basically borderlands but with like fantasy D elements put in heck yeah so it looks really interesting it's coming in about six months in march they haven't officially said mac support but given borderlands 3 was it was it day one on mac not day one but it, uh it was it was, it was a few close. months later it was like i think it might have been a couple of weeks or a few months later but it wasn't that far off in any case yeah like it, it wasn't far off this game i'm assuming on the back end is probably identical to borderlands 3 in terms of like the engine and like graphics and everything like that it's it's literally just if you watch the trailer it's it looks like borderlands with a sort of fantasy skin uh put over top of it right so yeah hopefully that coming to mac um sometime next year looks really interesting yeah i just caught that trailer too i'm glad you brought that up i had already mentioned borderlands 3 earlier in this podcast i'm a total borderlands fanatic since the first game and 2008 or 9 or something. Um, yeah, Tiny Tunes Wonderlands is a continuation. It's a spin-off game. It's not Borderlands 4. It's its own. Uh, they're probably trying to start their own franchise. Or it, may, it could be a one-off game, but if it's successful enough, they'll probably make more. Um, it is based off the 2014 DLC to Borderlands 2, Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep, which was widely um, hailed as the best DLC that game had put out by by many people. And many people, including me, had always wondered, this is so good, why don't they make a whole game out of it? So nine years later, <laughs> or something, there finally are. So that's super cool. As Sam said, Borderlands 3 had a Mac port internally done. I critique the Mac port for not being very good, but nonetheless, it is on Mac and you can play it. Um, I think even the higher end M1, the higher silicon machines with like an 8 GPU core and a 16 gig 
gigs of RAM, I think can actually run Borderlands 3 like reasonably like low 30 FPS. Can't even run on Silicon machines. So bodes well overall for the notion that Wonderlands could come to Mac. Um, previously, Feral and Aspire had done those ports, Borderlands 1, Borderlands 2, and Borderlands 3 sequel. Now Gearbox is doing it internally. Um, it does appear to be the same engine, maybe a little sharper on some of the textures or some of the like sparkly effects, because now there's spells. It's like he said, it's very D&D based. So instead of uh, grenades, you now have spells. So apparently you have like spell books. And if you watch the trailer, you'll see all kinds of various spell effects, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, transforming things into frogs and raining down ice and fire and throwing fireballs and all this jazz. Um, and they're also adding melee weapons to the game. So there's a bunch of melee-ish combat, at least. Some of that was shown in the trailer. Um, and you don't play Vault Hunters, clearly. Uh, you're playing RPG fantasy characters. And um, as far as I know, there's no uh, there's actual character creation in Wonderlands. It's not. You just pick this Vault Hunter, and that's your class, and here's your skill tree. It's more modular, apparently, like D&D. Yeah, like the um the D and D comparisons they're making for anybody listening, we're not like saying, Oh, it's like D and D. Like they're literally like leaning super hard into D and D in the trailer. They're like rolling for initiative and stuff in the trailer. So um <laughs> we're not exaggerating that element of the game. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for clarifying that. Uh yeah, go peek that out. Again, these are things to keep your eye on. No official Mac announcements, but there's certainly for Wonderlands, I would say a very strong possibility we get a Mac port. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic is more like a low possibility, but still, you know, follow, you know, check out these games if they interest you, keep them on your radar. And of course, around the release time or as soon as if we get any sort of confirmation, any of us on the team um, will be talking about it here on the show as well. But you can't hurt for you to also, you know, subscribe to the YouTube or follow them or social media or whatever if you want. Um, or you can get your news from us. Ha ha ha. That works too. Um, but I'd say that'll do it. That's our review of Metro Exodus, which we all we all liked, gave it a high rating, had a few niggles, but nothing that takes it away. Um it's again, it's on sale right now. Just go buy it for like twelve dollars, no brainer. Um and as ever, you know, Steam and Epic have refund policies within two hours of play or two weeks of owning it. So you can go and play it for an hour or hour and a half or whatever. I used to set a timer for like an hour forty five just to be safe if I wasn't sure. Um, you know, I don't, you, you know, I don't advocate, uh, like abusing the refund policy or anything, but if you're really not sure there is a refund policy on those stores and you can check the game out. Um, and there's some other cool games coming down the pipe. Uh, hopefully they get the Mac ports and we'll all be super happy campers and can be doing tiny Tina's wonderlands reviews and stuff, uh, on the show. Uh, that would, that would like, I would, that would, yeah, anyway. I could, I could talk like for the next two or three hours about Borderlands, so I should I should stop. But um, good stuff. Um, thank you everyone for listening and tuning in. That'll wrap up this episode nine. We'll be back next week for episode ten, getting into the double digits. How exciting! So thank you, Sam, for coming back and lending your lovely voice and thoughts, and Ted as always for being here. Thank you, gents. Yeah. I'll take care, everybody. A big thank you to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Be sure to check out his library on the web. You can find more episodes of our show on our website, macgamecast.com, or in all major podcast directories. If you enjoy the show, please consider commenting, following, or sharing. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>